Welcome to Next Scene Podcast, a podcast taking on pop culture one scene at a time. I'm your host, Sean, and in today's episode, we'll be covering the 1962 Hollywood musical, The Music Man, uh, with our guest, Jeff, from the Two Strike Noise Podcast. But first, we have um, uh, some house cleaning, some uh, some announcements, but announcements to make regarding Next Scene Podcast. Uh, the first one is, this is going to be our last quote-unquote regular episode for a while. Um, you probably noticed we haven't had one out for a while. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've had some issues with, with scheduling, uh, issues, uh, logistical, technical, personal, medical, uh, all, all sorts of things. Um, basically, we've decided we're going to focus on our year-end holiday specials. Um, so we'll just be putting out the the single season each year for um, at least the foreseeable future. And just wanted to uh, you know make an, a, a formal announcement about the schedule and and give you some give you an actual episode along with it. So we'll have um, that full discussion of the Music Man coming up later. Um, and so speaking of holiday specials uh, coming up at the the end of this year for 2023, I'm ready to announce that our holiday special this year will be Pee-wee's Big Adventure um, from 1985. The, the Tim Burton film will be covering that in nine parts, and that'll be coming up at the end of the year. Um, and that sort of, I was brought back to it uh, with Paul Rubin's uh, recent passing. I've always been a, a big fan of, of Paul's and of, of the Pee-wee Herman character. I went back and, and watched uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure for the first time in a few years, and and uh, you know, absolutely loved it. it. It's as good as it was the day it came out. Um, and uh, you know, my first thought was, wow, you know, how how has this not been covered one minute at a time? Someone really needs to do that, but uh, but not me. Um, and I thought, well, we can cover that. You know, I can always do it in chunks. It doesn't have to be minute by minute. And then I thought, well, we'd we'd already made the decision to uh, you know to to refine our schedule, let's say, to the holiday special. So. Um, why not? Why not cover uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure? And uh, and so we will. Um, and so that's coming up. And so uh, if you know if you're interested, if if you'd like to be a guest, we, you know we, we enjoy having folks on to to talk with us about uh, about these uh, about these movies. So um, yeah. So if you're interested in being a guest or just sharing your uh, Paul Rubin or Pee Wee Herman memories, uh, you can reach out to us. We are. Um, at Next Scene Pod on the social media, our Facebook uh, listeners group is the Jelly of the Month Club. And of course, you can always reach us um, at nextscenepod at gmail.com um, is the email address. And remember, all our previous holiday specials are up on the website. You can just go directly to nextscenepod.com slash holiday dash specials. And that'll list uh, all the, the previous specials that we have coming up. And speaking of coming up, a uh, big event coming up uh, in October on Saturday, October 7th is the big Movies by Minutes get together in Indianapolis, Indiana. So um, if you can make it, if you're in the area, stop on by. Um, we'll be at the Indie Fringe Theater for tickets and a schedule event. Schedule of events. You can go to nextscenepod.com slash mxm-indie. That's mxm-indie. And that'll take you to a page where you can buy tickets and again see um, all, all the uh, all the fun events that are planned for uh, for the that Saturday in October. And among the schedule is uh, is a panel we'll be doing on uh, on Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So we're gonna kicking off the holiday season a little bit earlier with a panel where we'll be covering deleted scenes, uh, some deleted scenes from uh, from the movie 
that we'll be discussing. And so if you're planning on being, uh, you know, at the Indie Fringe Theater on uh, Saturday, October 7th, and you'd like to uh, participate in the panel and like to talk about uh, peewee and deleted scenes and, and all that fun stuff, uh, let me know. Again, we're, uh, you know, the email is nextscenepod at gmail.com. We're at nextscenepod on the social media and the Facebook listeners group is the Jelly of the Month Club. So yeah, so if you're going to be in Indy uh, in the area, please stop on by or if you can travel. And if you're interested in uh, in participating in the panel, let us know. And then my uh, third and final announcement before we get to the meat of the episode is coming up this week, uh, live on September 6th, we'll be doing a uh, fundraiser charity movie a trivia event uh, to benefit the Cystic Fibrosis fibrosis foundation um a lot of people in the podcast community um either are affected by or have uh, close friends and family that are affected by cf so uh we uh it's 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 a cause that's uh dear to us in the podcast community we raised you know raise a little bit of money as much as we can each year um so this year we've got a trivia contest uh going on uh and that is uh, wednesday september 6th starting at 8 p.m eastern uh, 5 p.m pacific uh, you can, uh, to donate to the cause, you can go to nextscenepod.com slash donate, and that'll take you to the CFF page for the event where you can, uh, where you can enter your support. And then on, uh, on September 6th to watch along live, the, uh, this is a trivia contest will be on zoom and a link to that is at nextscenepod.com slash trivia. And again, that's on Wednesday, September 6th, starting 8 PM Eastern nextscenepod.com slash trivia so uh yeah so check that out and now uh i do have one final announcement that'll be coming up after the show so be sure to hang around and listen afterwards but uh with uh, no further ado on with the show welcome back to the next scene uh, where the podcast taking on pop culture one scene at a time as always i'm your host sean my brother brian could not join us today he sends his regards. Uh, but with us today, we have a, a, a special guest all the way out from the Two Strike Noise podcast. It's Jeff. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks, Sean. Great to be here. Yeah, great, great to have you. Welcome to the show. Uh, today, we are talking about uh, the film The Music Man from 1962, and in particular, the scene at the end where uh, the band plays. We, we finally get this band that we've, we've heard on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're covering, it's about a, about a three minute slice that starts with, well, it starts with Mayor Shin saying, where's the band? And ends with the band um, exiting, was it, I think it's the, the library? I think they're um, uh, the in high school. High school, yep. Yeah, I, I meant to look that up before we started to, to be sure of that. So uh, it, end, it, it ends with the band leaving the high school and uh, they're suddenly transformed from the the, the raggedy small time band to uh, to this shiny, um, this shiny new marching band that looks to have um, to have uh, as many instruments, probably double the size of the town. So yeah, be before we get into like uh, the meat of it, let's start with you, Jeff. Why don't you tell me what's what's your history with with the Music Man? You know, it's weird. Uh, I learned about the Music Man. We were discussing before we started rolling here. We're about the same age, and somehow I got introduced to the Music Man in junior high school. And it was it was kind of love at first sight for me. I don't know why, 
you know, I liked, I liked Greece. I liked, you know, Xanadu. I mean, these kind of <laughs> things that, that, that you would kind of catch on TV or maybe mm-hmm. rent a VHS tape of. But uh, I remember I was in uh, junior high school in Salt Lake City where I grew up and my uh, drama teacher was a, was an actor. I, I, I don't want to say failed actor, but he was no longer acting, but uh, we had seen his reel. He had brought it in one uh, time and I got to see his audition for actually one of my favorite shows of all time, Emergency, because anything to do with fire or police, I love. So that was great. And then right after that, he was, uh, it was Harold Hill. And he did, you know, T that rhymes with P that stands for pool, uh, you know, the trouble song. And that caught my attention because, you know, it's actually kind of like I just watched it again uh, prior to this. And it's kind of like a rap. I, I mean, it really is. He's mm-hmm. just talking, but it's to music. And I loved that so much that I ended up actually doing that uh, on stage in front of the school during a, a talent contest. And I guarantee you, nobody in the audience had any idea what this was about, where this was from, but I had so much fun. And, you know, from there, I watched the movie, bought the movie when VHS tapes were still like 50 bucks a piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I I just, I don't know. I just watching it again here in the last day, it just made me so happy watching it. And, you know, I'm not a huge musical fan. I like musicals, but this, this one, I don't know, for some reason really spoke to me. And um, yeah, I mean, I there at one point in high school, there was a, an actual movie theater that played it for a week and I went every day. Oh, and I was wow. Wow. the only one there most of the days. <laughs> and the theater owner came down and we talk and watch. And uh, it was just, I don't know. It's just a movie that brings, brings some joy to me. So I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, good, good, good. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you? Did did the movie affect you differently seeing it on the big screen versus, uh, you know, on TV or VHS? I don't think, I I think I was more excited to see it on the big screen, you know, especially because we didn't have HDTVs. We didn't have widescreen. It was just the old four by three put in a VHS tape, which obviously wasn't great. I never cleaned the heads on that thing anyway. You know, it was it was different to get it in stereo and get it on the big screen. And it kind of made me feel like, oh, maybe this is what it was like when this movie came out. And yeah. you know, that was the only time you could really see things like this. But, you know, it's just I have just about every line and song memorized that I was just playing it in my head before <laughs> and as it was going on. So it was really a great experience for me. To, to be able to see it on the big screen. I'm glad I was able to see it on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. That's That sounds great. Yeah. I have, what's what's my history? So this is a film that I've seen, yeah, many times on tape and on TV. Um, it's a weird kind of way that I got into Hollywood musicals through, through A Clockwork Orange. Um, <laughs> reading and then seeing the film, you know, A Clockwork Orange with Singing in the Rain. And through that, seeing the film singing in the rain and then getting into the Hollywood musicals um, from American in Paris and Easter parade, meet me in St. Louis. And then, and then the music man. And this is just the, the, the music, the dancing, the look of it, the feel of it, the acting it's yeah, it's just fun. It's just so joyous. I get such a good feeling Um, something I've, you know, I can see it over and over again. And and like you, you know, can, can recite the words to certainly all the songs and most of the dialogue and, it's, you know, it's it's just as much fun as it was the first time seeing it. 
Um, and what inspired me, what why I wanted to talk about it for the show was I was fortunate enough uh, about a year and a half ago to see it on stage. I'd only seen the movie version before, and, and I got a, an opportunity to see that the musical performed on stage live with actors. And, and that was fun. That was a thrill. Um, probably similar to, to seeing it on the big screen, um, you know, seeing it big and, and live color. But I, I had a couple thoughts. Like, like one thing is I never really thought about it much. I didn't really go deep. Like, oh, this is just, it's, this is a fun, feel good film. It's got lots of great numbers and, and, you know, some, some comedy bits and, and it's, it's, it's kind of just light and fun for me. And I don't know if it was doing this podcast and talking about, uh, you know, films and pop culture and, and being in an, a more analytical state of mind, or if it's the change in culture or just getting old for whatever reason, seeing it on stage made me start thinking about what is what do some of these mean? What's what's the deeper meaning here? In particular, I had two thoughts that popped into my head uh, about this scene, about the the band playing, and they play really poorly. And I had well, so like a good thought and a bad thought, and I want to end on a on a high note. So I'm going to start with the bad thought um, or the more negative thought that I had. And and so what I thought was, what kind of like white privilege BS is this? Like these kids are awful. This band, like they are just, they're not good. And we're going to heap them with praise. And yes, it's their parents. Like, yes, the parents should encourage the children. And, and that's good. I, I I won't knock that. But then when they leave the building and they go out on the street and like the magic happens where suddenly they're sort of the, the dingy, maybe accurate to the period or, you know, the, the price point that this town would have been able to afford, um, probably secondhand uniforms are suddenly transformed to like these bright, shiny, brand new uniforms and all the instruments are polished brass and they're shining. And suddenly there's, you know, there's not the dozen or so kids that live in this town. Now there's 76 trombones. I mean, there's a band that stretches as far as the eye can see down Main Street. And I'd be like, we don't see them pay for it. Like there isn't like a training montage. We don't see a lot of practice. Like what have these kids done to earn, you know, the, you know these accolades? Well, I am I, mean, I just am I just a negative Nelly? What's going I think on? You, there? I think you are here. Let's <laughs> let's think positive about this. So I see. I assume you've seen the movie Greece, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of that, they drive into the sunset in a flying car. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is this is theater. It, it's it's Hollywood. I, what's happening here is it's meant to signify that these kids, I mean, they're obviously not playing like this, but mm -hmm. this is how we are seeing these kids through the eyes of their parents. Because when Harold Hill's up there and they're ready to tar and feather him, you know, and then eventually Marion says, just let him play. And so he mm -hmm. gets up there and it cracks me up because he goes, think, think about it, using the think system where you don't yeah. practice, you don't touch your instrument, you just think you can do it. And they're playing this, which, to be honest, they played a lot better than I think anybody could have if they never picked up an instrument yeah. and tried to play the uh, the minuet in B and G, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, but, Beethoven's minuet. And I have to say, yeah, to be fair, I can identify what they're trying to play, which is a big step. There's a lot of times I hear someone singing or playing something and I can't figure out what it's supposed to be. So it's not, yeah, it's not that bad. It's You can identify what they're trying to do. Which and is something, yeah. I'm not sure how many marching bands play Beethoven's music. <laughs> I think that was a that was a <laughs> odd choice. But yeah. I mean, as they're playing it, and it's just you know, kind of plug your ears. 
-hmm. each parent stands up and goes, that's my Tommy. Oh my God. Play to me, play to me. Right. They're, they're, they're loving it because their kids, you know, nothing's really going on in this town. They're all hanging out at the pool hall, which we all know is trouble. Yeah, that's trouble. Times of pee, all that kind of stuff. But they're seeing them now dressed in their uniforms, trying to play these instruments. And, you know, that's parents seeing them at their best. I played in the band when I was in elementary school, played the alto sax. I I say I played, I held it. I held it. Did stuff. I was awful. I never practiced one bit. If I would have known about the think system, that would have been my 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 go-to. But I might as well have had Harold Hill telling me just to visualize playing like four notes because I couldn't do it. And I was supposed to play this overture to Rocky because that was, you know, that had just come out. We played that in Chariots of Fire, the overture to that. And I can still remember how. I felt when I nailed the heck out of it, those three notes I had to play when it came to, came to my turn. And I assume that to the audience, it was just kind of like a cacophony of sound, like just sound, not the actual overture. And, uh, you know, every parent there was so happy though. And so thrilled to hear these. And I can only imagine that if, if I did that today, all the parents would be out there with their phones, recording it, sharing it on social media to all their boomer friends. And, you know, everybody would be commenting and liking and saying, oh, what a great musician, you know, the next Kenny G right here. That's what this was. I mean, because they had never seen their kids accomplish anything. So that is, at least that's how I take it. I mean, that's them kind of seeing them through their eyes. I mean, at the end, oh, what's the mayor's daughter um, who's who's dating Tommy on the side? The Nada. Uh, yeah. So she's there at the steps as he comes out oh, in yeah. ill fitting uniform. And you can see she kind of gets that dreamy. She tilts her head and, you know, yeah. and then bang, all of a sudden he gets, you know, into this new uniform that looks good. He's, he's all confident. And, you know, she can just see that that's how she pictures him. And yeah. uh, it's a great point how, yeah, there's 76 trombones and 104 cornets and all and, you know, there were like eight kids in this band, but to the parents, they're yeah. here playing. It sounds like this huge band and, you know, they just think it's, it's great. And, and I mean, that's certainly how I interpret it. It is, this is how the town is seeing these kids. Uh, right. Yeah. And they, and it, because of the, you know, the affection and love for their, mostly the parents for their children, it's, it's, it's rose colored glasses, but it's understandable. It's forgivable. It's, um, it's, it's, it's natural. Yeah. Yeah, I can go there. Well, because then that was and yeah, and, and I think that's good. And so I'll I'll introduce. So go back to the so the first point, the first thought I had. Um, well, actually, I'll I'll back up even further and say I don't think I ever paid too much attention to this scene or enough attention to this scene when I watched the movie because I really dislike Shapoopy. Uh, oh, that number. Well, okay, that's the end. Then we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well goodbye thanks for joining us it's a wrap up today no i it just turns me off and so like and there's like a half hour left in the film the movie's like two and a half hours long when she goes by really quick minutes on its own i mean that's yeah i mean <laughs> it does move quick because of all these you know the great musical numbers and so forth like but um but yeah i i don't really like shapoopy and so i kind of tune out and like i don't really pay too much attention or at least in the past i didn't pay too much attention to the, the end, kind of after that point. Um, but this time, you know, seeing it on stage, seeing it live, it, it kept me engaged. I paid attention. I was there to the very end. And I'm seeing this. Um, and I think, like, that's that's okay. It's okay that they suck. 
because it's, you know, it's a hobby. Like not everything, like at some point, hobbies became your side hustle. Like it had to make money. Like you tell people you do podcasts. Well, do you have ads? Do you have a Patreon? Like, well, you know, it's just a hobby. I don't know if anyone's even listening you know, let alone like, I'm going to run ads, like, let's, let's not get carried away, or that anyone actually pay to hear me talk, you know, so it, it's, you know, I, I hopefully don't, I'm not, I, I try not to be painful to listen to. Um, but how good I do, I don't know. And I, you know, I play guitar as a hobby. And I'm probably about the level that these kids are playing <laughs> when we hear them play their instruments. But, uh, you know, the point is, like, am I having fun or not? You know, that that's the point of it. And um, so, you know, it's okay. It's okay that if they're not so good and we can forgive that. And, you know, it's like, and they don't have to be, it, you know, the thing is, are they having fun? Do the parents enjoy watching them? That's all we need to do. You know, that's good enough. And that it, was sort it of like the- Did the it keep thought. them from hiding dime novels in the corn crib and, you know, oh, yeah. into the, uh, peeking <laughs> in the school hall after, after school every day. That's, you know, and, and you know, buckling their britches below the knee. Oh. If I support so a kid with those knickerbockers below the knee, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> or a nicotine yeah. on their index finger. Yeah. Oh, I don't, well. I don't get like half. I had to look up half those references because I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know how to wear knickerbockers. I know how to wear, you know, baseball pants that are pulled up high, but I don't know how to wear knickerbockers, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it's, and some of those references are out of time. So there was uh, what, you know, is your is your boy like telling jokes from you know Captain Billy's Whiz Bang, yep. um, which turned out it was like a comic book from the twenties, like wasn't you know wasn't even a thing in in what, I think nineteen twelve when this supposedly occurred. Oh so. yeah, Le so let me talk about nineteen twelve. First of all, so my podcast Two Strike Noise, we're a baseball history mm -hmm. podcast. We do a lot of pop culture stuff, but nineteen twelve is a big year in baseball history and just in history in general because in nineteen twelve, first of all, the Titanic sunk. Right. So that's obviously big news. But the thing was, five days after the Titanic sunk in 1912, Fenway Park opened in Boston, home of the Red Sox still today. So this timeline of this story takes place in July. So obviously it's just a couple of months after the Titanic and, you know, Fenway Park, which is probably just as big to me opening. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, 1912, we, we discussed a little bit beforehand. There is very few things in this film that actually were true to 1912, whether it be the dress, <laughs> whether it be some of the references, uh, just a lot of stuff. But again, it's a feel good, fun musical. So willing to overlook it. They're, yeah, they're, they were definitely not going for historical accuracy. No. They did not have, um, you know, Christopher Nolan on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> that would um, be interesting. Also, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I did see this, you know, we mentioned that it goes from like eight kids, uh, you know, barely able, they're all very young too, barely able to hold their instruments. And as they leave the high school, it becomes this very large marching band. That's actually the University of California and the USC marching band mm -hmm. came in, which uh, I'm, I'm here in the Bay Area in California. So Cal's very close. And then USC obviously has a very famous marching band. So that's- oh, yeah. That's pretty cool that they brought them them in. Yeah, little 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 piece of fame for uh, for those guys. Though I don't know, uh, uh, you know, your average USC football game may have more spectators than uh, than a Hollywood musical. I don't know. I well, I think wasn't this? Uh, I it was the th number three grossing movie the year that it came out. Yeah, 
uh, I, I had a list somewhere where it was, I think it was number three and it was behind, uh, let's see, in 1962, it grossed uh, 8 million. It came behind The Longest Day, which was the first, um, and then Lawrence of Arabia. So okay. you, you got to choose between the Music Man and Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia is kind of heavy. So you're in, uh, you're, you're in good company there. Yeah. 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 Uh, maybe the, so. The other thing I want to talk about is so. What does this um, what does this scene about say about Henry Hill? So Henry Hill, or sorry, Harold Hill, wrong Hill. Um, so Harold Hill is set up as he's a con man. He's a salesman, but he's a con man, and it's it's set up in in the beginning of the film on the you know the opening scene on the train, and then it's reinforced when that other salesman Charlie Cowell you know comes into town and says you know I I've, I've been on the trail of this Harold Hill guy who's given salesman a bad name. He supposedly this, you know, this awful con man giving, you know, giving the traveling salesman a bad name, but he kind of, he delivers everything. Like he said, I'm going to get you instruments and uniforms and, and, um, you know, practice books and they get instruments and they get uniforms. We don't see the the books, but he kind of seems to deliver everything he promised, you know, is, is he just what, you know, it, what kind of con man is this? He, he doesn't seem to be conning anyone. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of his his mo, right? He he comes into town, he sells all this, uh, you know, sells it to the town, collects the money, and then is out before he ever has to prove anything before the instruments or you know the, the uniforms get there. But since in this case he catches feelings for Marion, you know, at the end he says, "Oh, I've got my caught foot in the door this." Or my, <laughs> let me start that over. Uh, I got my foot caught in the door this time. Yeah, foot caught and, in the door, right. And he's got his buddy, you know, Buddy Hackett, which is how great is it to have Buddy Hackett in a movie? Uh, he prolongs the stay and, you know, he gets to, he keeps making it up uh, as he goes along because he's there, because he's, you know, in love with Marion and eventually she falls in love with him and he just keeps the con going and he'll look for the escape route when he needs to, mm-hmm. which ultimately, you know, it does in the end. But more importantly, he finally gets Marion to believe in him. She's known all along that he's a phony, but when she sees what he's brought to the town, she finally starts to see him in a different light. Her, you know, Ron Howard, her her brother with the lisp who doesn't speak is now speaking, <laughs> speaking. and singing about Gary, Indiana and the Wells Fargo wagon. Uh, I mean, it, he's still a con man, but she's into it, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, she, I mean, the whole town is happy. And I, the question I have is what happens the next day? So, I mean, obviously they're going to figure out once the initial shine wears off, hey, these kids can't play. Are you going to teach them? And he doesn't know anything. She might be able to help a little bit. Obviously she's a, well, not obviously if you haven't seen the film, but she teaches piano as well as being the the Mm -hmm. town librarian. So maybe she can help a little bit, but she has no history with marching bands. I don't know if she's going to know how to play the sousaphone or, you know, the brass bass or even a trombone so what happens down the road or does he just because at one point she says i understand you might you know you need to leave go now and i i i love you and but but does he really leave or does he is he going to settle down and if so he's got a lot of work (laughs) yeah because she does she covers for him like she kind of stalls the that other salesman so he doesn't get to the mayor before it's too late um to kind of help him out. But yeah, so she, you know, she knows enough about music to know that he's a fraud, but not enough that she can take over this band. Yeah, what happens? But we see, 
yeah, she she slowly falls in love with him. And I guess, um, you know, is he falling in love with her for some other reason? Is he falling in love with her because she loves him? Or is he, you know, he's starting to see her the way she's starting to see him? Well, and I mean, yeah, what, what happens the next day? Let's face it, 1960s, Shirley Jones is a thirst trap in the first place. <laughs> I think he's got some interest. Uh, you know, I think he generally does have feelings for her long before she does him. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously it starts out, he, he, the anvil salesman lays out his whole plan. He's got him mm-hmm. pegged. I mean, he goes into town, he sells his bill of goods, and often he will flirt with the, you know, the music teacher in town because they're generally the one that's going to be able to, to bust them and know that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's on board a hundred percent. <laughs> I think I think he had feelings long before she did, but uh, it's it's the 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 Winthrop coming out of his shell that really yeah. turned turned the whole thing around for for Harold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. So the yeah that other that other salesman does mention you know he's, yeah, he's got other there's been other music teachers. I wonder is that a trope of like if you go into town and you want you know you need a single woman that you can kind of woo to, to kind of ingratiate yourself or, or needle wheedle your way into, uh, you know, into society. Are there like, that's the, the music teacher tends to be like a single, uh, you know, a, a, a widow or a spinster or someone that you can kind of slide up into if you're a travel salesman. Well, and they, and they yeah. made reference to it. They called her Maiden Marion, even yeah. though she's like, she's like 30, but they're treating her <laughs> like she's a barren woman of 82. Oh. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I mean, she was obviously beautiful too. I mean, yeah. Charlotte Jones was uh, not hard to look at during this. No, movie, no, so. not at all. Well, she, she can't be too old because her brother is like eight. And I know like, I, you know, I we, we've all known families where they're like, there's that, you know, the kind of that that caboose child who's at the end you know and there's like a big gap in there but um yeah she, she can't be don't, too old don't forget also when they meet at the footbridge at the end here before they capture him uh you know it's the first time she's ever met a man at the footbridge which i guess is a big thing i i'm not up on my footbridge you know <laughs> what goes on at footbridges but uh he says you know, she says oh i've i've waited so long for this and, and whatever to meet somebody here and he says you've waited 26 years too long so i was thinking to myself well is she supposed to be 26 and if so why would she as a newborn want to meet a man at the footbridge but or or is she like 36 and maybe he's saying because he is much older than she i mean this is it's a, <laughs> so i mean the the guy's always going to yeah. be much older than than his love interest but yeah the the timeline's a little sketchy i'm not gonna lie yeah, I think it's another area where they um, they weren't anticipating in what you know sixty years later people were going to be watching these films, you know, and, and dissecting them for a podcast to this level. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. They they really dug into that. But what would they have thought? What <laughs> what would they have thought if they if you get two guys our age, you know, down the line here, sixty years later, just dissecting this movie that they made? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but they, so there, there clearly is, you know, change has happened, not just to Winthrop and, and the, the boys of this town and to uh, to Maiden Marion, but but Harold Hill himself has somehow changed. Um, yeah, I don't know if he can go back to being the, the con man that he was because you have to um, you can't get involved. You know, it's not personal. It's It's got to be strictly business. You've got to be able to 
kind of BS your way through situations. And sometimes that means um, a, a romantic entanglement, but you can't lose your head and you've got to be able to leave, uh, you know, catch that last train out of town. And um, yeah, maybe, I, I don't know if he can do that anymore. If he's, if he's going to be able to, to, to go back to that life. So. I mean, maybe, name, name me a movie that's been made since that time where there is a con man that doesn't catch feelings and then has this exact <laughs> same you know, battle of do I stay or do I go? I mean, it is, it is the trope of, of a con man movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still the trope. And I think the, like the 21st century twist would be that then the, the woman kind of flips it back and, and it turns out the woman is conning the con and, and she's got something going, but yeah, you're right. The, the you know, the con man always ends up uh, developing feelings. So let me ask you this. You, you say that uh, you don't like the Shapoopy, which again, I just, I can't, I can't fathom. <laughs> it, I think that might be, except for, you know, the, the 76 trombones, you know, everybody knows that song, but Shapoopy mm-hmm. is kind of the most prevalent in pop culture. I mean, I think Family Guy did an entire like 10 minute rift on it <laughs> and, and so forth. But, um, yeah. and, but you mentioned you don't like it and, and that's, that's cool. I can't, one of my things is I hate uh, barbershop quartets so oh. there are there are spots in this movie when the buffalo bills get together that i just fast yeah. because i that is just not my thing i i don't care for that at all it actually kind of makes me a little angry <laughs> so really what what's your favorite i mean if if what's your favorite part of this movie what's your favorite song or number uh i really i haven't thought of it because i kind of i love all of it except for shapoopy those barbershop Barber shop quartet bits. Um, oh, light a rose. I'm home again. I mean, I I can't do it justice. I can't sing. Um, and that's you know, it's a little bit of jealousy. The way those guys can can harmonize the Buffalo Bills. That that those might be my favorite bits. It's um, funny because as I was watching it, and especially when it, you know they'd start, and I'd know it's coming up, so I'd go and fast forward it. But those the Buffalo Bills songs are actually the songs that are probably in my head more than any other <laughs> song in this whole thing because yeah. there will not be a week that goes by that I am not at some point just in my head something will trigger light a rose or yeah. good night lady something like ladies. that and it'll just I won't sing it out loud but it'll just be something that'll start in my head and I don't even think about it but those you know those are my yeah. least favorite part I think You're right you probably know that you know trouble is my favorite part of the movie but uh, yeah it's it's always interesting to to hear what you know different people pick out of a movie like this that they that they like and what they don't like and yeah yeah. complete opposites but we still both really like the movie right i mean yeah trouble is great i mean there's there's nothing wrong with that you can't really say anything bad about trouble i think if i had to pick a number one that stands out for me when there's the back and forth between the men and the women, you got the Buffalo Bills and the women, and they're doing the cheap, 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 pick a lot, pick a little more, you know, they're doing their bit. And then it's going back and forth between that. And then the good night ladies, you get them, them both going at it uh, and back and forth. I think that's just, that's the, that's the best for me. That's the pinnacle. Pick a little, talk a little, another one of those that just pops in my head for, and, and I, I'll never sing it out loud because nobody except for my wife, She'll figure out, you know, oh, well, it's probably a music man thing, but, you know, nobody else is going to know if I, if I start singing that, they're just going to think I'm nuts. But this is something that is very interesting about a couple of songs uh, in the movie. I'm not, I didn't know until recently, but 
you know, 76 trombones and Good Night My Someone are the exact same tune, just at a different tempo. That blew my mind just, yeah, yesterday, kind of preparing for, for the podcast. I read that and I'm like, no, no, yeah. <laughs> and it's genius though, because it, it, it really, it, it, they tie together so well. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it's one of those things, I don't know if that's a trick that people that write musicals know and like just the general public doesn't. But when I thought of that and then I went and listened to it, I just, I thought that was genius. Yeah, I think that is a thing. Like they know, well, I can just, if I change the key or I change the tempo, it kind of becomes a new thing. But yeah, that that really blew my mind. And that's really, so this was, um, so like pretty much the whole thing is written by this guy, Meredith Wilson, who um, did the the music and the lyrics and and the book, which is like the script, like the, the non-singing, you know, the non-musical parts of the show kind of wrote the, um, you know, wrote the stage play and then, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, adapted for, uh, for, for the movie, just uh, amazing stuff. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you probably know this stuff too, because you probably read the same things <laughs> as we were preparing for this, yeah. but you mentioned earlier, some of the other musicals that you liked and this, I didn't know as well. So we've got some names here, James Cagney, mm-hmm. Harry Grant, Frank Sinatra, and Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby is also a big topic on our podcast because he was a part owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates for a while. And uh, actually he made an appearance with uh, a former player that we had on who, uh, whose mother was a big Bing Crosby fan. And uh, his name was Vance Law. His father, Vern Law, is a famous pitcher for the Pirates. And Vance Law was going to sign with somebody else. And his mom was a big Bing Crosby fan. So he came over to the house and that got Vance to sign with the pirates, but they were all offered the role of Harold Hill. Mm-hmm. And they all turned it down. Cary Grant actually told them, they said, no, you know, go with, uh, go with, oh, who is it? Robert What's Preston. Robert <laughs> Preston. Yeah. Go, go with Robert Preston. He is the guy to do it. And I won't watch your movie if you don't cast him. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, I he, I, yeah, he, uh, he, he embodies this part. And I'm like, I, I'm just looking it up now. Like, I don't know anything else that he's done. And that'd be fine. If, if, he, if he did nothing else in his entire acting career, then I, you know, he would still be a star in my book. Yeah. But yeah. So he, yeah, he originated the part on, on stage. And then, they, you know, when they went to the, um, you know, went to film, yeah. Everyone was like, you, you, you know, you, you can't mess with it. You, you got to get this guy. Um, now Have the you- part of Mar- the part of Marion was originated by Barbara Cook, but she got you know the the the, the studio drew the line somewhere. They're like, we got to get you know the, we need a name, we need someone who's who's well known in, in one of these leads. So um, you know, I guess you know Robert Preston was not a, a big star in, in film at that time, but they're like, you know, if we can't replace Harold Hill, we can at least get someone who's uh, a little bit well more well known for the Marion part, and that's where you get uh, you know Shirley Jones. Yeah. So Robert Preston, I mean, really his, at least for me, the other role that I know him as certainly not as big as this to me, but uh, he was in the last starfighter and uh, I've seen that movie. So right. Yeah. Okay. But all I can see in any scene he's in is because he, he talks in a very unique way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a great acting job in the last starfighter. I see a lot of Harold Hill in it, but that's all. Maybe just because I've seen the Music Man, you know, more times than than I care to. Right, right. Huh. 
He's also in Victor Victoria from 1982, which I, I have to admit I've never seen. Probably an oversight. I probably need to uh, address that. I have not seen that either. Yeah. Did, uh, how about some of the other guys that have played Harold Hill? Do you see this list? I, I have not. So uh, I, I know back in the early 2000s, there was a, a, a network television version. Uh, and Matthew Broderick played Harold Hill. Kristen Chenoweth played uh, Marion. Mm-hmm. I was very excited about it. I mean, it was not great, but it yeah. was it was prime time. It was, you know, Sunday night. They had promoted it for two weeks. I was excited about that. The car going by. Um, this one I didn't know. In 1980, Dick Van Dyke played Harold Hill and Christian Slater played Winthrop. Oh. So, didn't know that one. And then the most recent one uh, that I'm just sure. wrapped... Uh, just wrapped earlier this year was Hugh Jackman on Broadway. Yeah, and I wish I would have seen it because also uh, playing Mayor Shin was Mark Lynn Baker, who played Cousin Larry on Perfect Strangers. Oh, Cousin Larry. Okay, yeah. So I actually that's that's the version I saw the revival, the Broadway revival with Hugh Jackman and, oh, and Sutton wow. Foster, um, and that was really nice. Now that got um, kind of middle league reviews. And so it kind of depends on on your attitude. And I can understand why why some folks didn't take to it. And I would say if you're, you know, the traditional, the Broadway Broadway theater goer, you're seeing half a dozen shows a year. You see every revival, maybe not be your thing. Because it's like, I got the impression it, it's it's Hugh Jackman playing Hugh Jackman. He's there's he, he's doing it with a wink and a nod. You know, he's kind of winking at the audience like, hey, it's it's Wolverine, but I sing and I dance. You know, he it, it's not you're not you don't see Harold Hill. He's not losing himself in the part, but he's having fun. And if I see people having fun on stage, I'm probably having fun. And I did have fun and I thought it was a lot of fun. I really liked it a lot. But I'm like, you know. I get to Broadway, I'm on the East Coast, I'm in the Northeast, I'm not too far away from New York City. Um, I get to a Broadway show like once a decade. So when I go, I want to have fun. It doesn't have to be historically accurate to the original production of the show. It doesn't have to, you know, be, you know, adhere super closely to the book. They, you know, if they're, again, if they're having fun, I'm probably going to have fun. So for like the, the casual theater goer like me, I thought it was great. I understand why the, you know, the orthodoxy, uh, you know, the traditional Broadway gang didn't think the most of it. Um, though it's interesting. So for what you say, it sounds like there's kind of a, um, a little bit of a history of them getting creative with, with the Harold Hill part and sticking more to the, the theater types for Marion. So it, so the, the one I saw Sutton Foster has got a long CV of, of, Broadway productions. She's she's a great um, actress and, and musical theater actress. And then you've got Hugh Jackman is sort of the the movie star, sort of the stunt casting. And then the, the when you mention um, well, Christian Chenoweth is someone who's got a solid background in musical theater and performance, and seems like a traditional casting choice. Whereas, and maybe I'm wrong. When I hear Matthew Broderick, I don't think musical theater. I think again, <laughs> yeah. I, I think well, that's kind of stunt casting where they get a, you know they get a big name that will bring in the rubes like me, um, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so I, I got to see that Hugh Jackman production, and again, I thought I thought it was great for for my value as a sort of casual. Uh, you know, theater goer. 
I thought it was, you know, absolutely fantastic. And again, it got me to pay attention to the very end and it got me to think about the the, the show and the story in a way I hadn't thought of before. So um, what more can you ask for? You know, that's not success. I think we need somebody to adapt this. And remember, I think it was in the 90s when uh, there was a Romeo and Juliet movie that was set in current day. Yeah, with, with Claire some... Danes and John Leguizamo and... Um... I think Le- was Leonardo was Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. Yes. I think somebody needs to do that, but you know, it, it can be an online scam where, you know, somebody kind of, kind of similar to when they did, uh, when they, you've got mail was a remake of shop around the corner, which is one right, of my yeah, favorite yeah. movies of all time. Uh, but they adapted it, you know, and made it through email and stuff. They need to do something where they're with, they're trying to scam us, you know, as some people online to learn how to, <laughs> I'm going to turn your, your turn your kids into influencers and teach them oh, how to do TikTok yes. videos. <laughs> I think we've got it. Let's just, now we just got to flesh it go. out and write a couple of songs. All right. Just bang out a couple of numbers. Get, get me Hollywood on the phone. Uh, I got, I've got one last piece of trivia for you here as we talk about uh, songs. And mm-hmm. I did not know this, but the Beatles covered Till There Was You, apparently. Yeah. And uh, they just did it and did not uh, give any credit <laughs> until they yeah. were in the court. And then they actually had to pay out to, to, <laughs> to Meredith Wilson's estate. But I did not know that. Yeah, that was, uh, and I, yeah, apparently that was like a very early cover that they started doing when they were first doing like the clubs in, in Germany and stuff like that before they hit it big. Like they wanted to show the range that, you know, we can do, we can do the rock and roll and the boppers and then we can slow it down and, and kind of do the the mood stuff. And yeah, this was one of their, one of their staples. They should have done Shapoopy. That probably would have, <laughs> probably would have reached even greater fame. Maybe it's, maybe it's Buddy, uh, Buddy Hackett. I just, he's a great comedian and, you know, a good comedic actor. I don't know if he can pull off the singing. Maybe that's what's, maybe that's what's bothering me. Maybe if you got, you know, yeah, if you got, you know, Paul or, or John, uh, you know, doing it, maybe I buy into it a little bit more. I thought Buddy Hackett was perfect though, because he was used just enough. Yeah. He gets to make the faces. He gets to do kind of his goofy stuff and yeah. it's a good little break, but it's not, he's not, like Adam Sandler doing his bit the whole movie right. long. I, I, again, I mean, I, except for, you know, barbershop quartets for me, this movie is just, it's, it's great. I think it, it is. Yeah. He, he is, he's used really well. He's like in the beginning when, 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 when Harold first gets into town, he runs into his old buddy and then he kind of, you know, and then he does the the piano thing to indicate when, when the panic teacher's coming during uh, the, the, um, we've got trouble number. And then he kind of disappears for, for a large chunk of it. And then he shows up at the end where he's been collecting the money for, uh, um, for the uniforms when they're delivered. And then he does his Shapoopy number and then uh, they get out of And town. he blows the tuba. He's playing the tuba. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and and that that you know, final he's number he's marching with the band. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff. Good stuff at the end. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's a backstory there. There's like a spinoff. Cause we don't like, so he says, I'm pretty sure he says like, he's, um, well, they, they so they've got a past, but he says, um, like he's dating someone. He's got a sweetheart in town. I think it's like the the boss's daughter for the for where he's working. But I don't think we ever meet her. We never. Yeah, no, um, she's you know, one of the. Uh, she's one of the uh, the rhythmic dancers. She's, oh, the one Grecian urn. Yeah, Two Grecian. Grecian. <laughs> yeah, she's one of them. 
Um, and then, of course, there's oh, okay. a sister that he wants to set Harold up with. But okay. they definitely have. He knows that Harold is a con man. I think. Oh they yes. Run these things together, but now he's settled down and yeah. just happens upon uh, Harold. Just happens upon the same town, and right. I mean, he's all on board. He at no point does he say, "Don't take advantage of these people." He's just like, "All right, let's do this." He at yeah. one point hands him three hundred dollars in cash, which in nineteen twelve is a lot of money. A lot of money. And uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. It's funny. He's like he's settled down. He's gone straight. But then as soon as like you know the old cohort, he's you know he's ready to break bad. It's like all right, you know, <laughs> he's, he's back. right back into the grift. It's yeah. it's all good, man. He's like, yeah, let's 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 do it. Like I'm I'm straight. I'm not going to con these people. But if you want to do it, I'll help. And nobody ever puts two and two together. Nobody's ever like, wow, you guys have been hanging out since you first got here. You obviously know each other. Now he's scammed us out of this money. We think he's, you know, we we don't think he's on the straight and narrow, but you know what? Yeah, we're good. We're just mad at him. But... We're all good. We're all good. That was, it was a simpler time, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> simple, simple, simple time, simple minds. <laughs> yeah. I think the last little bit, the last little piece of trivia I have on this is, um, uh, so the original stage production in 1957 of The Music Man uh, just killed it at the Tonys. Uh, so walked away with with six Tonys, including Best Musical, and happened to beat out a little thing I like to call West Side Story. Wow. Um, actually creamed West Side Story at, at the Tonys that year. But West Side Story would have its revenge um, of sorts in um, on the silver screen. So So West Side Story came out in... 1961 so a year before this ended up 11 oscars just swept everything just kind of bowled it over um it was huge on screen this the movie version of music man only won a single academy award uh the, the following year the year after west side story just uh, it won for best musical score i was gonna say i hope it's not yeah. for costumes yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how about a crossover? They could have had, you know, the, the band is playing the music while the Jets and the Sharks fight. I mean, yeah. they could have really had a powerhouse. There you go. That's we need. Yeah, we need a, that cinematic universe where they come together. It's yeah. The band versus the Sharks versus the Jets. Why not? Um, We're full of so ideas. Yeah. I mean, we've got it. We've already got a, a movie about about Buddy Hackett's backstory. We've got a, a modern version of uh, of an online scam. And then we've got a crossover. Uh, with West Side Story, I, we got yeah. our, our work cut out. Yeah, get uh, J we need James Gunn. Get me a James Gunn. Get him on the line. We can uh, we'll make this happen. Or Zack Snyder, he's not doing anything these days, right? I think I think I DC's I, let him go, so he may none be of them are technically doing anything right now. So. <laughs> well, that's yeah, at the moment, actually, yeah, none of them are doing anything. So um, we'll see what we can do. All right, so that was like my, my last little bit, my last note. I don't know, Jeff. Jeff, do you have anything else to add? Any uh, any parting thoughts on uh, on the Music Man? Or I mean, I could I could go on on and on with some <laughs> other scenes, but yeah, no, I, it was great getting to talk about Music Man. I I don't uh, I don't remember the last time anybody asked me about Music Man and wanted to hear and and you know actually have a conversation about it. All right, yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us. And, and once again, so tell uh, you know tell our listeners about um, about yourself. You know, if you've got plugs, tell them about your show, where you where you come from, what do you do? Sure. So uh, our podcast is called Two Strike Noise. Like I say, it's a it's a baseball history podcast, but man, we talk about pop culture all the time. We tie in Seinfeld. Uh, as telling you, I I can I can waste a half hour telling you about the crossover between Major League Baseball and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. 
we really are we love baseball, but we like to talk about pop culture as well. Uh, my co-host uh, works uh, in baseball. I work in baseball. We've we've worked for quite a while. Um, he was actually a bat boy for a minor league team at one point too. So he's got a ton of stories. Uh, we like to talk about kind of the odd characters in baseball, practical jokes, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can find us anywhere. Two Strike Noise, TWO Strike Noise. We're on all the socials: YouTube, Spotify. Um, all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, we like to have fun. We, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not diving into the uh, Pittsburgh drug trials unless uh, it's to talk about how the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates mascot smuggled uh, cocaine into the clubhouse for the players. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff we like. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a great show. So two strike noise. I would encourage uh, yeah my listeners to to check that. I I kind of preparing. I was was listening to some of it, and I I got intrigued. And I'm not a baseball fan. I'm not I'm not really into baseball at all. But tying it into not just pop culture to to general history, and and um, even as a non baseball fan, baseball is so intertwined and so woven into the history of the United States that um, if you're you know if you're in the United States or you're interested in the United States, then you, you've got to have some interest in baseball just from, um, you know, from the ubiquity. So uh, yeah, I found it a very interesting uh, and entertaining podcast. And so if, if you're a baseball fan, it's probably just so much better, but if uh, only yeah. there had been a baseball reference in the music, man. there, there was one wrestling uh, reference yeah. in the music man. And we do talk about wrestling quite a bit because that intertwines with baseball as well, but yeah, no, no, no actual baseball references in the music man, which is disappointing. Yeah. A little disappointing. I mean, the baseball was certainly around at, at the time. Oh yeah. It had been around for ooh, 60, 70 yeah. years at that point. We'll have to in the, um, in, in the remake, we'll work it in. There's gotta be a line in trouble about, you know, the kids playing stickball or something, you know, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. We'll, we'll get Steroids. It or you know, <laughs> a little HGH or something like that. Hey, all that stuff was legal back then. This you oh, know. It was legal until 1998. Yeah. So yeah, yeah let's go for it. <laughs> I mean, on. it was in uh, the, I think we still had cocaine and Coca-Cola at that point. Yeah. So, yeah it's, it's all game. That explains a lot. All right. So, um, so yeah, that so that's been Jeff from Two Strike uh, Two Strike Noise. So uh, yeah, encourage folks to check that out. Check us out. We're Next Scene Pod. We're um, we're at nextscenepod.com. We're on the social media at Next Scene Pod. Our Facebook listeners group is the Jelly of the Month Club. So uh, come on in there, join us, and, and give us your your memories of you know of the of the Music Man of uh, 1912 Iowa of uh, of baseball. Anything else you want to share? Um, and so once again, I've, I've been your host, Sean, and we will see you next time on The Next Scene. Okay, well, th- that was great. And, and thanks one more time to Jeff from the Two Strike Noise podcast for joining us and, uh, and all his wonderful input and insights on, uh, on The Music Man. Uh, so that final announcement that I teased um, is a new podcast coming up. So I talked about how um, we're sort of thinning the schedule are, are, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're focusing the schedule. We're getting, a, you know, have a more selective audience for the next scene pod. And I think we, um, I think part of the problem was trying to do too much in a little bit of log jam of ideas. And, and, and in the end, we ended up uh, putting out less rather than more. So uh, by doing less, hopefully we'll, we'll get more out of it. So, um, uh, so for the next scene pod, we're going to be focusing on those year end holiday specials. And in its place for regular, uh, you know, regular bulk of the year content, 
Uh, coming up next year, something I've been talking about and teasing for a few years now will be Casablanca Minute. Casablanca Minute covering the 1942 Warner Brothers classic Casablanca, one minute at a time, will be coming up in 2024. Um, so that is a minute-by-minute -minute coverage of what I think is um, really the, the greatest movie that, that has come out of Hollywood, the, the best product that the Hollywood studio system ever put out. Um, and you can find that at uh, CasablancaMinute.com is the dedicated site. And I think I'm going to... Um, I think I'll cross post those episodes since we won't be doing regular yearly content for Nexine Pod. So uh, you can kind of stick with the feed that you've got now to hear that. But if you want to get it, you know, kind of direct from the fire hose, you can pop on over to CasablancaMinute.com to uh, to get all that. Um, and then just uh, quickly to recap our uh, our announcements for earlier the show that uh, you know once again uh, our next episode after this will be starting with our holiday special at the end of the year where we're covering Pee Wee's Big Adventure and if you want to help uh, help us kick that off we're going to be in Indianapolis at the Indy Fringe Theater on Saturday October seventh and uh, we'll be hosting a panel where we'll start discussing some of the deleted scenes from uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Um, so for tickets and the schedule, you can go to nextscenepod.com slash mxm-indie. And if you're interested in uh, joining the panel and joining the discussion um, with us on that day, you can uh, reach out to us at our email, uh, nextscenepod at gmail.com, at nextscenepod on the social media, and always our Facebook listeners group is the Jelly of the Month Club. So please uh, reach out and uh, let us know uh, if you're interested in, uh, in joining us. And so once again, I have been Sean, and this has been The Next Scene. Walk her once just to raise the curtain. Walk around twice and you make for certain. Once more in a flower garden. She will never get sore if you beg her pardon. Squeeze her once when she isn't looking. Get a squeeze back, that's fancy cooking. Once more for a pepper up, but she will never get sore on the way to supper. Don't ring me for so much, say no.